Radio. Got another special guest today, Brendan. Okay. Yeah, I, uh, I kind of had to go to some lengths to get him here. Yeah. Um, but, uh, ladies Al- and gentlemen. Alive? Dead? Uh, well, uh, you'll have to ask him. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. And, and, I mean, it's hard to top last week when we had uh, our Lord and Savior himself on the podcast. Right. Uh, he sounded very much like Antonio Banderas. He, he did. Uh, he kind of looked like him, too, but with a beard. Yeah, and he didn't take a jetpack, so I'm wondering if it was just Antonio Banderas. It's possible. I mean, he I haven't really seen him working much lately, so perhaps he's got a new gig. Just wanted to tell him I was a big fan of uh, Ballistic X vs. Sever. Exactly, yeah. It's one of my favorite Game Boy Advance games. Anyways, <laughs> check it out. Game Boy Advance X vs. Sever. Um, but we've got a real special guest today. Uh, uh, all the way, Brendan, from the island of Sodor... Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Thomas, the tank engine. Hey, guys. Oh, Thomas, nice, yeah. to, nice, to, nice to meet you. Yeah, it's real good to meet you guys. Um, How you doing? I do have a question I've been wondering for years. Sure, I really I'm, have to ask I'm, you. I'm, 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 I'm an open book, guys. What's George Carlin like in person? George Carlin, I tell you, he's the sweetest guy. He loved riding around on my on my train. Oh, okay. He was a great fella. Great. George, George once brought me some oil. <laughs> wow. Yeah, he found it at the hotel he was staying at, and he thought Thomas would like this. He was a sweet man. That's nice. So, uh, what's up? Well, I, I heard you guys watched a movie about railways. Yeah, we did, yeah. What'd you think? Uh, it was quite good. We enjoyed it. Well, what, what was the gauge of the track that they were using? Jason, you want to chime in here? I, I mean, I don't know a lot about railways, Thomas. I don't think it came up in the course of the movie. Well, it's pretty important because the gauge of the track is, is relative to the size of the wheelbase. So you need to you need to have a good... Uh, you didn't know trains could sniff, did you? Uh, you got to have a sort of... Um, I mean, your eyes are bloodshot, Thomas. Your Look, eyes are pretty red. Don't judge me. You don't know what it's like to be a train. Oh, God. Woo, woo. That's what it's like, man. All day. Every day. I'm out there. I'm on the tracks. I'm rolling. Every day. Rolling freight. Rolling coal. You don't get to judge me, Brendan. Jason, what's going on? I don't know. I didn't think Thomas would be quite this combative. We have a lot of combative guests on this show. I don't know why that happened. Look, I'm not combative. I just think you guys have some rough fucking ideas about trains. <laughs> Thomas, you can't. You, I mean, you can. It's not like we don't swear, but but Tom, you're a children's star. Look, man, I'm not on that show anymore. Shining Time Station has been off the air for 25 years, I think. I don't know. Time doesn't have a lot of meaning anymore. That's what I keep saying. Yeah, you you know, you know. But man, it's it's tough being a train. And I, I, I guess I, I want to say I watched some clips of the trains in this movie, and I just wanted to point out that they're all very accurate. Mm-hmm. Those trains are... Trains, man. They don't have cars like that anymore, though. The fancy rich cars. They no. don't let us carry them anymore because, uh, well, it's time to eat the rich, is what I'm saying. Oh, Thomas is a revolutionary. Well, you know, I, I dabble. Thomas, um, would, would you say uh, you're more political these days? Well, since I got off Shining Time Station, you know, I've been out there. I've been, I've been in the, on the rails with the people. And I've learned a lot. I've seen a lot. And now I know a lot. I don't want to make things better for people. Because people like this guy, Brendan Wall, people like him are out there keeping trains like me and all my train workers down. Well, I know Brendan has been very outspoken about his dislike of trains. Jason, can you just get him to open the episode? 
Thomas, look, man, <laughs> this is getting real long. You gotta, you gotta do this. Do I look like your puppet? No, you're not my puppet. But we're, we're running on. We're like five minutes in. It's the intro to the episode. We brought you in to talk a little bit about the trains. You gotta do it. All right, all right. Just give me a sec here. Woo, woo. All right, I'm ready. This week, ladies and gentlemen. Now I sound like Paul Stanley. This week, ladies and gentlemen. The boys are going to watch a movie that doesn't feature trains. And it's called The Man in the White Suit. Woo, woo. I don't have a jetpack, but I'm going out on the rails. Chugga, 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 chugga. There he goes. <sighs> what a get. Man, Mike, Mike, Mike. I got I to gotta talk to the booking department. We're starting. We're getting some really psychedelic guests on this show. I mean, we've had Jesus Christ himself. Jesus we've had, Christ. We had a literal train this we episode. Had a, we had a, t- a train that I thought was a character this whole time. Apparently, yeah. no, just living over wherever he lives. I don't know, you know if he's alive or dead. Jason, what's going on? This show has changed. Well, that's, uh, Have we sold out? No. I mean, kind of. But not to anybody that matters. Okay. But, um, yeah, man, I don't know. Trains... Trains are interesting, aren't they? Uh, not particularly. <laughs> All right. So in that case, let's uh, let's talk about what we're going to do this week, Brendan. Well, let's talk about what we are first, because we're uh, a podcast, Jason. People don't know who we are by now? No, they don't. Uh, we are a podcast. We are based in the country of Canada, in, upon uh, Hampshire. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, it would be it would be uh, Fredericton. Uh, what's the river called? Uh, St. John. St. John. So we'd be the Fredericton upon St. John. <laughs> uh, the only way I'll take St. John, That's by right. the way. Yeah. yeah. I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. And this is a podcast called For Screen. And Gundre. And Jason, on this podcast, what the flip do we do? Uh, I think we just uh, jerk each other off, apparently. Uh, no, normally what we do, uh, and what we're doing this episode, is we are talking about one of the many uh, movies on the British Film Institute's top 100 list as established in the year of our Lord, 1999. It is an immutable and unmovable list of the greatest British films ever made. And as we know, no films have been made since 1999. No, no up, no list update, nothing. Nothing. BFI is like... The no, no films. Date. No films no have films. been made. There are no All, British films. Well, they attempted to, but the BFI like made Shut them... Shut them down. Yeah, they made them relocate to America. So uh, this is, explains a lot of stuff, Jason. Yes. So if anyone's a big fan of Shaun of the Dead, just know it was actually an entire, entirely Kentucky-based uh, film Absolutely, production. Absolutely, because uh, the boys from Scotland Yard came down, and they started busting shit up, and, and they had to flee. Yeah. Simon Pegg had to jump on a literal cargo ship. He did. It took him four months because they had to stop at a bunch of ports. They did film some scenes on the ship, though. Yeah, and then they ultimately got cut. But yeah. uh, <laughs> I mean, all of them because the lighting the, was the terrible. Inti- there, there was an entire subplot that took place on a ship, and they just cut it all. <laughs> I mean, it didn't really fit in. Yeah, it was a weird thing that they ended up on a on a tanker because I mean, they're like in central London. So how the hell are they going to get to it? I guess the Thames is there. Do big, do, okay, folks, if you live in London, do oil tankers come down the the Thames? Seems unlikely to me. Let us know. <laughs> I just assume that uh, the UK is just a bunch of canals, like it, like that, like, like those scenes in um, uh, "Don't Look Now." I just assume yeah. that's what all of the UK looks like. Don't look now. Uh, yeah, yeah. The UK looks like Venice. Exactly. It's yeah. perfect. I just assume it all looks like uh, Full Monty. It's just all sad factories and dirty people and. You know, it, it, nobody can argue that seventy-four movies on this list haven't educated us to yeah. the British way of life. It is, and I've long been an Anglophile of sorts. I love British TV, my friend. It is, it is wonderful, and, and watching these movies helps fill in a lot of that cultural gap. It's fascinating to me because we're we're very similar, but we're so different, aren't we? 
Ebony and, and Ivory. Ivory. Maybe we shouldn't sing that. No, song. I don't think two white guys should sing that song. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, this is the most bullshit that we ever, we've done in a while at the top. Brendan put black bass on just for that song. <laughs> get the fuck out of here. You should probably rub that off. Rub it off? Wipe it off? I don't know how you get it off. I've never worn it. Maybe you know. <sighs> we need to move on. Okay. <laughs> we need to, we're talking about a movie this week off the list. Yeah. But before we talk about that movie... We need to read comments about last week's film, which was, of course, The Railway Children. Yes, we've got some comments. We've got some comments to read about The Railway Children. Mm. What a movie. Children on a railway. The children of the railway. If there's a bustle in your hedgegrove, don't be alarmed now. It's just a sprinkling for the May Queen. Or the children on the railway. We are so getting sued by Led Zeppelin. I hope so. Very litigious. Good press. You saw Wayne's World. Oh, we got some comments, Jason. So we're going to go through and pick some comments from our listeners about the railway children. Our listeners, who many of whom have not seen this movie. And I don't blame you because I haven't seen this movie either before I watched it now. I will start with this one because it kind of makes me laugh. Uh, Christopher Berry said, I watched it as a child but never had any affection for it. One of our dinosaurs is missing. It ain't. (laughs) <laughs> i just i love i, I and and there's not to knock the movie i've never seen it or or anything but it's just like what is that yeah <laughs> one of our dinosaurs is missing well, i want to know really because well, we i probably love, look it up i love uh, the obscure reference and then saying like you know it ain't this yeah you know it's like it's like you say jaws it ain't everyone knows jaws what was it dinosaurs are coming <laughs> one of our dinosaurs is missing dinosaurs oh this is you're you're is you're hearing missing. you're hearing some some great material here. Oh. 1975 Family Adventure. A group of spirited British nannies wow, become involved in a race with the inscrutable Chinese intelligence service. Ooh, uh, the prize is a top secret microfilm hidden in the skeleton of a dinosaur on display in a natural history museum. Interesting. Starring, ooh, uh, Peter Ustinov as Nup Wan. Joan Sims as Emily. Uh, who else? Anybody else I recognize here? Uh, uh, no. Clive Revel? It looks like I should know him. Uh, so, yeah, this could be an interesting movie, but uh, it sounds like there might be some problems there that maybe the railway children don't have. <laughs> the casting is... Wow. Yeah. So we, we just we just took that guy to task. <laughs> oh, yeah, and your I'm, movie? I'm, no, no, your movie? Hey, Let's I'm sure look it up. I'm sure it's a great movie. Uh, look, Brendan, movies can be problematic and still be entertaining. We've watched plenty of those. Yeah. So Coming soon. I mean, hell, Matter of Life and Death has some real shit in there, but damn, it's a good movie. Does it have that much? Yeah, segregated heaven. Okay, let's move on. As we know, heaven is only segregated between Irish Republicans and American Republicans. That's the only divisions well, of they, current heaven. They didn't know that back then. I know. We they, just they, found they, they didn't have the science. Yeah, the science of Jimmy Stewart's ghost. Okay, yeah. please give us another comment here, Jason. Well, I'll just say Adam Pellman advises us that if you want to watch this, this is streaming on the Criterion channel right now, if anyone's interested. It's on my watch list, but I haven't gotten to it yet. There you go. But our old friend, Sharon Horwood, hadn't seen it. No, she hasn't seen it. We got to read it. Asks if this is based off a series of children's books, or is that something else? Also, Bernard Cribbins is in this. He's one of my favorite British grandpas. Aw, I'd love to, Sharon, if you would, could you submit us a list of your top 10 British grandpas? (laughs) 
I'd like to see that. Um, Julian Oldham says, I always enjoyed this as a child. I hope it holds up reasonably well. The Father's Return is such a genuinely lovely and cathartic moment. Pretty sure that alone solidified Jenny Agutter's national treasure status. My dad still occasionally talks about that scene. It's a film that can get quite emotional for some parents, I think. And yes, Sharon, sorry, just to go back to Sharon for a sec, it is based on a book. But thank you for your comment, person. Julian. Julian. Thank you, Julian. Um, Kyle Keppen took a, took a swing at it. He said, judging by the picture, the poster, I can only assume it's a story about negligent parents whose children tragically die while flagging down a train directly on the train track. You know, you, you're not too far off. They didn't die, but they did directly flag down a train on the railway track. So good on you. Uh, uh their parents are not dead. They're, they're just, one's in prison and, uh, one is, I assume, having a draftsman's like contract, uh, in the background that we don't see. Sure. Let's, let's do it. Let's go with that. Uh, let's see. Liam Bennett. Liam Bennett just outright screams, My God, yeah! It's on every Christmas on British telly. So this guy's legit British. There you go. And it's on every Christmas. So there it tells you a little bit about the popularity of the film. Um, our last comment I'm going to read here is from David Simpson. And David says, He's from England, so thinking, watching, so thinking that watching this was law. All I can remember is having a massive crush on Jenny Agutter. Then when I saw she was an American werewolf in London, even more so. Yeah, no kidding. She's naked in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm not saying you're a perv. I'm saying I'm a perv. Yes. And that's why that's why I remember. That certainly. Is a gratuitous shower scene. Which, of course, we got to bring up in the, in the uh, uh, course of talking about a movie called The Railway Children. Right. Yes. Yeah, of course, it ties in. So, yeah, uh, that's a movie that uh, I think we talked about it, but, yeah, it's probably of a certain generation of Brits that they've watched it, but maybe less so in the modern era. So if you want something that, uh, as actually one other commenter pointed out, um, Blair McCarthy said she just watched it with her kids. It's very good. Slow pace was nice for a change. So that's the kind of movie it is. If you like a slow-paced, kind of relaxing, old-school kind of family film. And it should be noted... Guys, if you listened to last week's episode, Jason went into this, this movie expecting to not like it at all. Mm. And I think you even said, you know, as much as I want to say this is like boring and sappy, I really liked it. You know, it was very, it was very entertaining. Uh, it, it could have easily been like a, a real slog of a movie, but it did not. It, it, it rose above it. We rise again. I was just thinking that. In the faces of our children. We rise again. In the voices of our soul. Jason, this is very exciting. We come to the point on the podcast where we get to compare a movie on the BFI Top 100, which is The Railway Children. Don't be fooling me, Brendan. At number 66. To a movie on the AFI Top 100 oh God, at number I? 66. Oh my God, And Jason, I? you have fucking seen this oh, movie. Oh, fuck yes. And if you haven't, I'm going to be... <laughs> I'm going to be full of anger. Um, so number 66 on the BFI is, of course, The Railway Children. Number 66 on the American Film Institute Top 100 American Films of All Time is... Raiders of the Lost Ark. Shut up. No, I have seen it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, hey... Raiders, Raiders. Yeah. I, I like Railway Children, but man, Raiders is Raiders. It's hard when you have it up against an iconic yeah. film. Uh, yeah, exactly. One of the greatest action-adventure films of all time. Okay, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so Raiders is pretty handily wins, but I mean, you know, Railway Children put up a good fight. It came back in the fourth for a few a few uh, minutes, a few rounds. I know nothing of boxing, just if, the Rocky movies. That's okay, that's okay. Uh, if, if the children in Railway Children had have had whips... I think we might have had something. We might have had a real fight, but Indy all the way, baby. 
Well, now, Jason, we need to move on. We need to talk about this week's movie, which is, of course, The Man in the White Suit. Ba-da-da-da! Music means we're talking about this week's film. It's number 58. 58. On the BFI Top 100. And of course, as we mentioned a little inside baseball last week, this was going to be either our first or second episode. Yeah, we were all ready to go. I did a random number generator online. Didn't like that. I wanted to physically roll the dice on the episode. So that was scrapped. And 74 movies later, here we are. And that is how you know we are honest, folks. That is transparency. We don't have bullshit. Nope. There's no Steven Mnuchin working for us. I mean, he did for a day that we fired him uh, for ethics reasons, but that's it. I don't know if you guys knew this, but we do have an intern position that rotates in a funny way, like on Murphy Brown, where we have a different character every week. They're never on this podcast, but they're always there just for us amusing us. But we do know how to spell potato. Oh, look, this week, uh, our intern is former UN Secretary Boutros Boutros Galley, babe. Oh, no. Get out of here. Is that hey. a spiller the whole time? I just stopped in to see Boutros Boutros, babe. We go way back. We did some drinking in the old days at the at the, the Cha-Cha Kakariki Club in uh, Menudo, <laughs> Illinois. Yeah, I bet you didn't know Illinois had a town named after a Latin boy band, babe. Hey, Dennis, I think I see Chachi over there. Oh, hey. You want to go get some drinks there, babe? Johnny loves Chachi. That was the world's worst Dennis Miller impersonator that just left our home. <laughs> God. I think Dennis has just fallen on some hard times. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> I mean, Trump's not the president anymore. He, he's not a great impressionist, and he's just doing an impression of himself now, and it's not great. <laughs> Babe. Okay, so we're talking about number 58, The Man in the White Suit. Um, this is another Ealing Studios mm. film, and tragically, I have to tell you right now, it is the second last Alec Guinness movie that we're going to talk mm. about on this list. Because I, I suppose he, Oliver, Oliver Twist. Yeah, okay. Yeah, he's not in the musical. He's <laughs> in the David Lean one. <laughs> oh yes. Um, you couldn't get me to sing for all the money in England. I bet you you could. He did Star Wars for money, so. Oh, didn't he sing in fucking Scrooge? No, he didn't. Oh, I don't think he did. Anyway, the Man in the White Suit is what we're talking about. It's number fifty-eight. Uh, let's run down the cast a little bit All here, right. Jason. We got, of course, Alec Guinness as Sidney Stratton. Hello. Our lead. I'm Sidney Stratton. Uh, Joan Greenwood uh, as Daphne Fernley. I'm Joan Greenwood. Well, perfect impressions across <laughs> the board. Uh, Cecil Parker as Alan Burnley, her father. Oh, yes. Uh, Michael Gow yeah. as Michael Corland. Um, Ernest Thesiger as Sir John, because I have to talk about Sir John mm-hmm. for approximately 45 minutes. Sure. Um... Yeah, that's basically it. Uh, oh, actually, no, I should mention Vita Hope as Bertha as well, because she's ah, yes. a standout, too. Yes, absolutely. Directed by our old pal, 
Alexander McKendrick. Your this old pal. Our old pal. <laughs> this is a third yes. film we've done. The third McKendrick. Third McKendrick. Uh, of course, uh, previously we talked about The Lady Killers and Whiskey Galore. Mm-hmm. So this is the third and final film yes. by Alexander McKendrick on this list. Um, so Jason, The Man in the White Suit. We almost did this one right off the bat. I'm kind of glad we waited. Yeah. Because I think it's not an as obvious movie to dissect. No. Like, it's not It's not Dr. Zhivago. It's not Bridge on the River Kwai. I, I kind of like that we had... Yeah, exactly. Like, like, starting off with those epics was nice because it kind of got us really into the mood and it got to see, you know, some very well-known movies. And then something like The Man in the White Suit is a much lesser-known picture. And also, we have the context of those two previous uh, McKendricks to uh, uh, inform our viewing of this movie. Exactly. You can't have you can't, you can't have a man in a white suit until you've got some lady killing mm-hmm. and until you've got some uh, uh, glorious whiskey. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Whiskey galore. Oh shit. Um, relative of pussy galore yes. and uh, it's, uh, it's p- pussy's grandfather. Right. Right. <laughs> and who was the other bubbles galore? Bubbles galore. That yeah. was a, you mentioned that a few weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about The Man in the White Suit. This is a kind of a sci-fi film in a way. Yeah. Sci-fi, comedy, satire mm. type deal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this movie is about a uh, young man named Sidney Stratton. Sidney Stratton, played, played by, by Alec Guinness, of course. Yep. Uh, he is a scientist? He is a, like, Cambridge fellow who came out of uh, a school and he was, like, a fully trained, like, I assume science. I don't know exactly. I guess he's a chemist. He must be a chemist of some sort or an engineer. Um, he's certainly not a biologist. I thought he was just like Matt Damon and Goodwill Hunting, just going up to the labs and just like I could do the yeah. work. Well, the janitor would lead you to believe that, but no, he is a fully trained what I uh, will we'll say a general scientist who does science. Hmm. And uh, one of the sciences that he does is he sneaks into the lab uh, uh, at the place he is working a janitor's job and uh, into the lab and running his own experiment. And I guess <laughs> like. Uh, getting the money off the budget somehow. And anyway, so he, he he's doing that, but he gets found out and he gets fired. Yeah. Um, and they dump his work down the sink, even though it had finally actually worked before he could do anything with it. What is he trying to invent, what Jason? is he trying to invent? That is a good question, Brendan, and I'll tell you right now. Okay. He is trying to invent, I'm not stalling, he is trying to invent a fabric that is uh, indestructible. It is completely waterproof. I, I don't know if he actually says it, but it's certainly impervious to dirt. And stains. And stains. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and later we find out it just it glows mildly in the dark. Because <laughs> there might be some radio. <laughs> there's, there's some radioactive uh, material in it, yes. Yeah, he's going to die in 10 years, for sure. Oh, for sure. No question. Um, so he, this is something he's been striving for. Because he, he works at a textile plant, right? And that mm-hmm. they manufacture clothes. So his idea is like, if we create this sort of stuff, we'll own the market. And, and we'll actually, it'll be beneficial to humanity because we'll never have to, you know, worry about the clothes because they'll always be good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but he gets fired initially. He takes a new job working at the at a different textile factory, and that's where he meets Bertha. Is that her name? Bertha. Yeah, yeah. Bertha. She's a working woman, which I thought was very progressive for 1951. Certainly women worked uh, in factories during the war, but I guess it's good that uh, after the war they still have the opportunity to work, so that's yeah. cool. Um, and it led to a, actually a very funny scene that is a bit reminiscent to me of uh, – uh, I'm all right, Jack. I get a little bit of all my, I'm all right, Jack vibes in this. Same, movie. I did too. Um, especially the scene you're talking about but right this now. Is, yeah, exactly. So this is uh, they're about to go on tea break, and this scene plays out. You've got it loaded too heavy. What? You want to leave it so you can see over the top? Oh, yes, of course. Thanks. You aren't you? Uh, yes. 
Never worked in a mill before? Oh, yes, several. I know. Leave school. Into the first blind alley job that comes along. Too old for that. Into another and another. By the time you're 30, what are you? Flotsam floating on the flood tide of profit. There's capitalism for you. It wasn't quite like that. I got a scholarship to Cambridge. But you hadn't got the old school tie. Oh, you can't tell me. Discrimination. I've seen plenty. Where were you going with this lot? The loading bay, I think they call it. You were going the wrong way anyhow. It's down there. Tea up. Better leave it. Tea? Uh, No, thanks. I think I'd rather... Tea break. We had to fight for it. And that's legit. That, that, the, at the end when she says we had to fight for it, she, that is legit shit. If you have breaks in the union, it's because you negotiated and fought and struck probably for that right. So when break happens, you take your fucking break whether you want to or not because yeah. you earned it or you negotiated for it. Yeah. No, exactly. And and I love though in that scene where she says tea break, she literally drops everything yep. she's doing at that exact Bing, right is, at the moment. Which is that union which is that union stereotype too, of just like of, yeah. of the idea of a union just adhering to the contract so that they would just drop everything in the when break starts, which you know, you and, should fucking do. Yeah. Well that was the I'm alright Jack moment to mm. me too. It's like, oh, it's like you know, as soon as we're off the clock, we're off the fucking clock. That's right. And that's true. Yeah. I support that wholeheartedly. This, yeah, I would I would say that I'm all right, Jack is definitely leaning heavier into the satirical side. Mm. Like it's definitely it feels more Monty Python than this does. But this definitely does get there. It does by get the close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we do we do we do uh, approach that line for sure. But yeah, so go, yeah, so you're talking about this character uh, Bertha. Yeah, Bertha meets Bertha at the plant, and uh, but he starts sneaking back into the other textile plant to resume his experiment. Uh, which, by the way, the experiment itself uh, is just it's an assembly of different looking scientific devices with a flashing light on it and some steam and dry ice and shit. And it makes a funny noise, uh, which is uh, kind of a musical sounding like bloop, 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 bloop. Do you want to? Should we hear the noise? Yeah, would you like Cause to? Because I want to mention I want to ta- I want to mention something about it after. Sure. <laughs> So would you argue, um, listening to this, my first thought was, oh, they created this with like a series of instruments, like some, some, it's some kind of musical cue that they're using to simulate the lab equipment. Mm -hmm. It's not. No, it's not. This is uh, audio of actual lab equipment. Yeah. So I imagine they must've recorded to make different sounds and then mixed it together. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah, that, that actually was surprising to me because it just sounded like, oh, they created this through music. No, it's neat, and it's it's kind of an iconic sound of this movie. Uh, uh, so much so that it was eventually released as a single. Um, they took that. Sa- I sent you the video. You should check it out. Uh, uh, perhaps for the end of this episode, but it's it's called the uh, the white suit samba, mm-hmm. and it's that it's that series of sounds, and then there's like a samba beat under it. Oh wow, <laughs> that's that's something. Yeah, apparently people bought that. So yeah, okay. So he doesn't. He doesn't get his experiment destroyed early on, but he sneaks back in. It's still there. He tries to finish it, uh, and he finally is successful, but then they catch him uh, and then attempt to fire him, but he doesn't actually work there anymore, and so he ends up getting chased out. <laughs> uh, hauled out, really. Uh, and it turns out... Uh, so then he basically tries to force his way to find Mr. Berkeley. Berkeley, is that his name? 
Uh, Burnley. Mr. Burnley. Yeah, he tries to force his way into Mr. Burnley's mansion. We have a quite comedic scene with him uh, sparring with the butler, trying to get in. Mm-hmm. And, but he eventually does get in and convinces the daughter, uh, played by Joan Greenwood, to get him access to him. And, and long story short, he convinces him that he has something here. Right. And so he's a, they, they go back. They do the experiment. He finally gets it to work after blowing up the building three or four times. <laughs> Causing quite a lot of damage and, and uh, getting the attention of a local newspaper. when the, and, and their excuse is, oh, no, we're just remodeling. It's fine. <laughs> but he gets it to work. And so they finally are able to make a synthetic fiber out of this. And uh, it's like a long chain fiber similar to, you know, a rayon or a nylon. But um, much longer chains and much almost, for all practical purposes, indestructible. So... This is a big deal. So they, they take this, they take it, they draw it out into fibers. They test it on a machine, like a, a, a tensile machine or whatever you call it. It tests the, the strength of a given piece of uh, material to see when it snaps. And, it, and it, not only does it not snap, it breaks the steel that's holding it. <laughs> that's how strong it is. So this is revolutionary at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I, interesting bit I, that I appreciated in this movie uh, I thought it was going to be like a kind of an old school trope but it kind of uh, threw me for a loop so when he's explaining to Joan Greenwood what's Joan Greenwood's character's name uh, Daphne Daphne so when he's explaining to Daphne he's like oh I found a long chain molecule and blah 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 and she just totally doesn't understand what he's talking about yeah and it's like oh the dumb girl doesn't understand classic trope here we go but she sits down and starts reading books and then eventually like learns and understands what the hell he's talking about. Like yeah. that's crazy. For that time, the idea of like having that bit in the movie, that's great. There's somebody a- just can learn if they put their mind to it. Arguably <laughs> two strong female roles yeah. here. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, they're able to finally weave it into a fabric, which they then cut into a suit. Yeah. Uh, a white suit because... Unfortunately, the fiber is so strong and resistant to dirt and water and stuff, it's also resistant to dye. Yes. So he, he looks like a, I don't know, a, a Cuban exile in Miami dressed in a white, this bright white suit that glows in the dark, mind you. And then the real crux of the movie at this point is all of a sudden we realize, wait a second, this might not be the best thing for the industry. Well, that's because Sir John comes into the picture, yeah. Brennan. Well, I, I mean, I just want to get through the... We'll, we'll sure. talk about the characters here once we get into I just want to get through the rest of the plot real mm. quick. It's just that there's basically a struggle now between the industry that makes, you know, the clothing, yeah. um, the the workers themselves who see, like, wait a second, this could mean we're, we'll be out of work if people don't have to buy new shirts all the time. Yeah, well, it, it, yeah, because it's all over the place. So Burnley initially wants to make it, but then he gets pressure from the rest of the industry to say, like, you're going to ruin us if, yeah. this, if, this, if this goes away. We're not going to be able to make clothes because we're just going to, you know, clothes will be made and they can't do anything about it. And the workers similarly in the union are like, shit, if you make this, then we don't have fucking jobs, do we? <laughs> we're going to put us all out of work. So that's the whole struggle there. Um, that's that's basically the struggle for most of the movie. Yeah, you mentioned the struggle for most of the movie is that he has invented something so absolutely revolutionary and and awesome for humanity. This wonderful product, and nobody but him is interested in having it out. Everybody's got some vested interest in keeping it suppressed, except him. Yeah. Now, 
it can be argued as well that Alexander McKendrick, the director of this movie, may have been writing that as an allegory of his own struggle with uh, Ealing Studios because mm. he had a pretty big feud with Michael Balkin, one mm-hmm. of the producers. Yeah. Um, basically, they they fought on everything. So I think this is also his idea. Like, you know, I want to do stuff that you're not always doing, yeah. but you won't let me do it in the, in the name of progress. So, I mean, I think there's a little bit of a thing here. But also, I have to note, he kind of attacks Every side, including mm. Sydney, a little bit too, and that's that again. I think that's what called me into. Uh, I'm all right, Jack. Into, I'm all right, Jack. Yeah. That it's it's an all round barrage. And you know, listen, I love one sided satire as much as the next guy, yeah. but a satire that manages to attack all sides in and a way, still be funny and still be funny yeah. is unique. Yeah, today it's good. It's good when it works. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, no, and and so so we get all sides here. Um, we get, of course, the the. The corporate people, like we got Michael Gao, who yep. I think is pretty pretty funny in this movie, as Michael nice. Corland. Um, he actually has a relationship with Daphne at the beginning of the film, yeah. and then they do this. It's very transparent because he gets rejected by her father for getting like money for his business. He takes him on a tour, and he's like, "No, no, no, I'm not giving him any money." Mm. And as soon as that happens, you know, Daphne is like, "Well, you know what? We'll just get married, and just 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 I don't care. We'll just get married." And he's like. Oh no! I wouldn't want you to get married uh, because of that. Anyway, gotta go. Like he has no romantic interest in her whatsoever. It's all for her dad's money. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So there's that side, the corporate side, where they realize like this will end our industry. There is the worker side where they realize, oh, we're gonna lose a bunch of jobs. And then there's Sydney's side a little bit, where we kind of get the criticism that. Maybe he – I understand that what he's doing is amazing. This is an amazing product. But maybe what he's doing, he's not fully grasping the the, the sweeping change that has to happen. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I don't think he's fully grasping that like when he does this, yes, it's going to be revolutionary. But it's just going to take a while to adjust to this. There's one more side that's represented in this movie oh, very okay. briefly. Okay. And that is uh, an old lady who Sydney runs into near the end of the movie. And, and she – uh, knows clearly knows who he is and, and what he's invented. And she says to him, you scientists, you just, you go too far. What about my washing when there's no washing to do? Like, it's like, th- 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 yeah, it's like that in her her mind, in her life, her washing is such an important part of her day that if this thing came out, that then she wouldn't have that to do. Yeah. And that would throw it off. Well, and I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's a handle is a very, it, I mean, his side is criticized or, very, or very slightly. I was going to say, or it's also a shot at maybe poor people, but I don't think yeah. that it was done in that way. No, I, I <laughs> considering the guy who made this movie, I doubt that. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a very slight shot at mm. Sydney's side. But it's interesting because he also kind of takes pause at that moment when and she says like, that, huh. right? Yeah. Because he doesn't kind of see that side. No. And that's the thing. I think I think in this movie we're representing different points of view on this issue. But, but we're every also... point of view has blind spots. Yes. Thank you. Yes, exactly. The, every point of view is not seeing something. And the biggest blind spot outside of, outside of Sydney is the rest of them is the idea that this would be beneficial for humanity as a whole. But they don't care. Because it could fuck their livelihood. Well, and I mean, it's it's that old saying, like, you don't want to get in the way of progress. Yeah. Um, you could almost, uh, just to apply it to modern day stuff, like, you can. Uh, the, 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 the pipeline in Alberta is the first thing I think of. Well, I mean, and really, this, this whole movie is, um, I don't know if it's the, like, originator of this, but, you know, you have that conspiracy theory of, like, a person invents something that's so useful and powerful that big companies suppress it. And, oh, like and, Big Pharma with, like, you know, they, yeah, could, they spread, could... Oh, they can cure cancer, but they don't because they want to keep selling... Because Tylenol you know, sells better, stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, or they want to yeah. keep selling the meds because they make more money. Or, yeah. you know, or somebody invents, like, a, 
you know, cold fusion uh, uh, reactor that works perfectly and, you know, oil companies buy it and scuttle it because they don't want anybody to do that because it'd fuck their business. Exactly. But yeah, there's that. And again, I, I do have to go back to the Alberta thing, though, because, mm. I mean, current day, yeah. uh, you know, President Biden has said, I want to shut down the Alberta pipeline. Well, the Keystone XL, which was going to be like XL. a joint U.S. Yeah. Because it was going to run from Alberta to the state. So it was in both countries. And of course, the immediate reaction from a lot of Canadians was, you know, no, don't shut it down. Don't shut it down. Don't shut yeah. it. It's going to kill jobs. But then they're also not. It's also that, that, that criticism, too, of like, well, if this shuts down, there will be other green jobs in, in its place. If but, you invest in it. But, but what I'm saying is, though, it's like not seeing the forest for the trees. Well, they, they maybe they can see the forest for the trees, but they have interest in keeping oil running because there's a money interest there. But I think it's it's also like a short-term versus a long-term Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. And that is one of the – and I'm sorry to get so deep on this podcast, but, but that I mean, is one of the biggest issues with the type of system that we have, that we have these representative democracies. And because you limit – generally how long people can be in office not necessarily in this country because theoretically the prime minister could be prime minister for forever oh, if he kept yeah. getting elected years but yeah. in a lot of countries where you do have these term limits you don't have the ability that a dictator would have and i'm not and and, and don't get me wrong i'm not supporting the idea of a dictator let's get that out of the way i don't think that's the right but way we to should go. give it a shot is what he's saying but if you have that benevolent philosopher king who can have that foresight you theoretically could do a lot more now it it takes a special type of politician like that i always talk about that dude the mayor in winnipeg i think you know, 50, 60 years ago, who got so much shit because he poured a bunch of the city's money into shoring up like the flood protection around the city. It was a lot of money. It was a huge scandal at the time. There was all this concern about it. But those flood works have saved that city at least four separate times over the last 50 or 60 years. Like it's, it was an investment. It was a long-term vision and it paid off. Mm -hmm. So, and that is such a hard thing to have in our type of system, you know? Well, because people want immediate results. They want immediate results or they only have a certain amount of time in office, because you can plan things 100 years in the future, but it doesn't mean that the following governments will follow them. Yeah. Maybe we should... Um, get back get, to the movie? Get, well, we are talking about the movie, <laughs> okay. though, because I think that all this stuff applies yeah. in the movie. Um, I, I do want to talk about, though, I do want to play a clip here of the uh, the workers' version, their side of things. Um, because, I mean, yeah, just listen to this part. Well, what's this? Workers' playtime. It's this! Look who's car. Sid! Hello, Bertha. Hello. What have they done to you? Well, it's really what I've done. We are just going to announce it to the press. Announce what? My new fibre. Mine? Mr. Corland. In Mr. Burnley's office. It never gets dirty. And never wears out. That's right. Now what do you think of him? And you think they'll go ahead with it? Certainly. You're not even born yet. What do you think happened to all the other things? The razor blade that never gets blunt. And the, the car that runs on water with a pinch of something in it. No. They'll never let your stuff on the market in a million years. He's right, you know. Vested interests. The dead hand of monopoly. It's not like that at all, I assure you. Everything's organized. We're telling the newspapers this morning and then going right ahead. But if this stuff never wears out, we'll only have one lot to make. That's right. Ah, I've been looking everywhere for you. First of all, I want to apologize. Didn't recognize a genius when I saw one. Excuse me, sir, I... I've just come from Mr. Burnley. One or two things he asked me to straighten out. That's lovely. Six months' work and that'll be the lot. Every mill in the country will be laid off. It's Burnley's doing. Sydney wouldn't invent a thing like that. Something ought to be done about it. Well, something's going to be done about it. We'll get the Works Committee together for a start. 
Also, I love in that scene where Michael Gao is the initial boss that fired him. Mm. But then as soon as Sydney has achieved some fame, he comes in and he's like, Sydney, yeah. I don't know what I missed when I hired you. Total bootlicking brown nosing type of executive. It's good. Yeah. And by the way, Michael Gao, if anybody doesn't know, uh, famously Alfred Pennyworth. Yes, in and he's been in uh, yeah, all, in, I mean, lots of movies, but I'm just saying like. In the Burton Schumacher films. Yes. In the Burton Schumacher Batmans. Um, yeah, and, and a and, lot of Tim Burton, obviously, and, and in that uh, that commercial. Yeah, the gentleman will be driving a black car. Yes. <laughs> no, I think it'll be quite noticeable. <laughs> Just for the taste of it, <laughs> Diet Coke. Ah, Batman loves Diet Coke. What can we say? Jason, I can never forget about that commercial because that was on my Batman VHS. Nice. So you saw it every single time. Every single time I watched Batman. And guess what? Wait, guess who Batman did Forever? The first one. Oh, okay. And guess who did It might have been the second one. It was one of the Burton ones. But guess who didn't skip that commercial when they when they saw it? Brendan Wall. <laughs> Damn right. More Batman? <laughs> yeah, Are you exactly. kidding me? It's like, a, it's like a short. It's like a, having a short film at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> a very short film. Yeah. Yes. Um. Directed so, by Derek German. So, Batman. No, no. No? Okay. Man of the White Oh, right, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, I mean, pff, this movie uh, gets into it. This yes. is some deep shit, Jason. Yes. I'm, I'm all right, Jack, again. Um, but again, I still say, I still say that while it does get very satirical, I think it holds back on the goofiness a little bit. Yes. Um, this is it, a, this is a, a low key movie in terms of comedy, which kind of makes me think of like the other two McKendrick movies we mm-hmm. saw, because as crazy as lady killers kind of got and like whiskey galore, mm. they're both still kind of grounded. Yeah. They're pretty grounded, pretty subtle um, comedies. And we'll discuss that at the end. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so basically it all boils down to, uh, yeah, everybody's against him. And so they literally start chasing him yeah, that's through the, the streets. That's the, yeah. And it's, and of course it's difficult for him to hide because it's nighttime and his suit glows. His suit glows. <laughs> and they do kind of a neat effect where they, um, it's not so much that they brighten the suit as they darken his face and everything else around him that makes it look like the suit's glowing. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of cool for 19, was it 1951? 51. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. um, so, I mean, where do you, I know this movie kind of goes after everyone, but where do you think this movie stands? Uh, I think it's a movie about the silliness, the craziness of society, of how short-sighted people can be, um, I guess uh, even Sydney included, uh, in, in, when there's something that's so obvious in front of them, but they can't get past their bullshit to see what the real deal is, Yeah, to see what the truth is of the matter, and how the, the benefits could, could come from it, but... And and I'm sure that that's the experience that, that he's probably had making movies. <laughs> well, and I mean, I, I talked about Ealing Studios. Yeah. I mean, he did enjoy working there, but again, he didn't like Michael Balkan. He hate, he enjoyed Hollywood even less. Mm-hmm. Like, he made The Sweet Smell of Success, which was like his big hit in Hollywood. But after that, like... Yeah, the last movie he directed was in like the late 60s. Mm-hmm. And he didn't die until like, I think the early 90s. Yeah, he gave up on, on yeah. filmmaking. <laughs> that's a shame. I know, right? It's killing these great minds. Yeah. So they chase him, they chase him, they're chasing him through the streets. There's some fun comedy there with another guy all dressed in white. What'd you do, Dad? Nothing. <laughs> I didn't do anything. And then the big twist is that the material he made 
isn't perfect. And I wonder if this is also another satire of like, or, or making a point of companies bringing shit to market too quickly and not researching it because they didn't, yeah. they literally made it. And then like the next day they were ready to bring it to market. Well, <laughs> like yeah, they don't give it a little time to see what happens. They don't test it. No, they, they just, they just kind of say they test its strength. And you, you can make this amazing product. Here's the lab. Yeah. Keep making it. And he blow, you know, he blows. And then the funny thing is like, they see so much money. They see so many dollar signs in it that mm-hmm. he literally has like four explosions. Um, parts of the building are just completely destroyed and they have this funny scene where the guy keeps going up to uh burnley mm. the guy who's you know giving him money funding this and saying like you know the damages this week are twelve thousand, and he's like no problem no yeah. problem well and and the money thing like like to the point where we think the one person in the movie that sydney can trust is is joan greenwood as uh, daphne but they go to daphne at some point and be like hey would you try to convince sid to maybe sell us this yeah and she's well, like oh yeah okay and she's well like uh they offer her like like five grand, five thousand pounds or something. And she's yeah. like, oh, "Okay, I'll do it." <laughs> this is a bit of a longer scene, but I do want to play that sort of seduction scene. So this is we should note before we play this though. Uh, Daphne is the daughter of Burnley, yeah. and she she's kind of been on Sydney's side trying to help him get in with Dad. Once he explained, and you mentioned yeah. the thing where she's reading the books and she's like, you know, yeah. getting knowledge. She on the understands subject. what how important this is, right? So she's like. In it to win it. Um, but then the, the, the corporate people are like, well, maybe we should convince someone he's close with mm. to convince him, you know, to just give up this idea. Take the 250,000 pounds they're going to offer him, mm-hmm. which you know, take the money, dude. It's a lot of damn money. Uh, in 1951, are you kidding me? I don't know though. It'd be hard. It'd be, it'd be a hard thing if you had something you thought would like so benefit humanity. Jason, I I feel like I'm a bad person then, because <laughs> I would just I would just take that fucking money. I, um, I don't blame you. I don't judge you for that. <laughs> Thank you. It's a non. It's a judge free zone. Um, what was I gonna say? We we're gonna play the seduction scene. Yes. So. She's on his side. Um, she understands what he's going after. And so, yeah, it's interesting that we then see that, okay, 5,000 pounds. Yeah, I'll go and try to uh, seduce him and get him to just sell off this idea so you can basically bury it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let's play the scene. I want to talk to Sydney. I never thought you would be on their side. You may not believe me, Sydney. But I want what's best for you. I I don't like this any more than you do. I hate this town. The mill, everything. People who think of nothing but money grabbing. Don't you feel like that? Yes. I want to get away, see. I want to see something of the world beyond this dirty little town. To make a life for myself. Where there are people who know the way to live. Italy, maybe. France. Well, why don't you? I can't. But you could. And you could take me. How? know what they offer you. You could live the rest of your life on it. Go anywhere, do as you please. And if you want me, I'd come too. Mm-hmm. 
What's wrong? I'm sorry. No. Not even if it means me. No. Thank you, Sydney. What for? You said yes, I'd have strangled you. Now, we've got to get that suit to the newspapers. I have a question for you. Oh, it's interesting. You, 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 I guess, okay, go ahead. Oh, what were you going to say? No, you go ahead, ask a question. Oh, no, well, mine's going to start a whole discussion, so that's go fine, ahead. That's fine, I was going to talk about that. You go ahead. I was going to ask you, is she genuine? Yes, that's what I was going to say. Like, okay. Is she being genuine, or is she just taking advantage of the situation? Does she agree to do this seduction thing? Mm-hmm genuinely try to do it and then once she realizes he's not going for it suddenly go back to her old character or did she take the offer just to get them off her back and then go do it as like sort of a test to see if he was genuine about this if he really like cared so yeah, yeah that's the question is was she ultimately question. genuine or not I think she is ultimately genuine yeah. I think based on her previous actions and the way she talks to like the men like when Cindy's not around yeah. that makes me think that she might be genuine but However, during the clip, as I pointed out while we were watching the clip, it's, it's some very noirish lighting in this scene. Yeah. And um, when she is kind of on Sydney's chest as she's like, you know, I, I want to get out of this town. I hate it. The, the lighting is such that her eyes have a black shadow over them. And he's giving the impression that maybe she's not on the level, that this isn't a good faith offer uh, on her part. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's like the ending of Sopranos. It's up to you. Yeah, exactly. Just like the ending of Sopranos. Yeah. Let's actually just take some live calls, see what people think about this. Uh, yes, caller, you're on from uh, Dallas, Texas. Go ahead. Oh, uh, yeah. It's real cold down here. Look, uh, I just want to say that I saw this movie and uh, I thought that uh, I thought that she was genuine. I think she loves him. So uh, that's what I think. Oh, perfect. Okay, well, we'll take our next call here. For, uh, oh, it looks like we're uh, getting a call from uh, 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 Manchester. Okay, Manchester in the UK. <laughs> Hello? Yeah, this is Ellen from Manchester in the UK. I just wanted to say that this is one of my favorite movies. That's okay. That's it. Thank you. I oh. just, I'm so happy I got to say that. I love your program. Oh, thank you very much. And, uh, oh, okay, we'll take one more call. One more call bye from... Bye-bye. Uh, see you later. Uh, okay, it looks like... Uh, for, oh, from Marietta, Georgia. Okay, here we go. Oh, yes, hello. Wait, what? Yes, uh, I've, I've seen this film when I was a child, uh, before I moved to Marietta, Georgia, Uh-oh. and uh, I must say, uh, it uh, does not feature uh, enough Southerners for my liking. Okay, odd, uh, odd criticism. And so thank you for taking my call on my iPhone, so the audio quality is much higher than the previous callers. Goodbye. <laughs> thank you to the road dog, Jesse James. <laughs> it's from Marietta. It oh, could have been, been him. That's probably his best childhood friend, that little English boy. <laughs> yeah. What were we talking about? I don't know. That was insane. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about... It, oh, no. We're talking about if she's genuine. Yeah. Not. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, that, and that's up to you, the viewer, to decide. Yeah. So let's take some calls. Oh, wait. We already <laughs> oh, we did that? that? We already did that. Shut the phone lines down. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I I, th- I I think he does intentionally make it a little... Um, what's the word? Uh, not vague. Uh, in, uh, not indistinct. Uh, I mean, vague is fine. Uh, you could go either way. There's a word. There's a yeah. word. Why don't we have an intern that is a human thesaurus? I, I mean, I asked Reggie and he was like, not happening. Well, we dog. fired Reggie because he was here for 24 hours. Right, 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 yeah. right, 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 right. 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, we, we also way. don't pay anybody. Just just in case you were concerned, no, don't worry. We don't pay them. Well, Jason and I are millionaires, but nobody right. else makes money. Look, if, if you want to keep your money, if you want to make money, you can't pay workers. Are you stupid? <laughs> yeah. Lena Dunham had the right opinion. That's right. Thank you, Lena. You do it for the exposure. Thank you for showing those titties, and thank you for uh, fucking over workers. So. And thank you for being horrible overall. <laughs> thank you for being everything... A Republican thinks of when they go when they go against the liberal elites. And lastly, thank you for being a friend. Travel down the Love road you, Lena. back again. Man with man in the white suit. Man in the white suit. Man yes. in white suit. He's the man. The man, man in, in the, the white suit. suit. <laughs> but you shouldn't toot in that white suit. But it won't matter because it won't stain. That's true. It won't. Everybody listening to this is hitting stop <laughs> 10 times. But that's okay because by doing that, we're, they're actually going to end up hitting play again. Because if you hit play, right. uh, pause an equal number of times, it will play. Again. Every time you hit play, we get $5. <laughs> Think about that. Man in the white suit. Man in the white suit. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know about her. Uh, but I think that's interesting that there's some, uh, there's, there's some doubt there. So we get to the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they're chasing him down, and uh, we, as we established, they they see a doff of the um, fiber. See, I said doff because I used to work in a carpet factory. Uh, they had a doff of the fiber, and it was and it was fraying, so it was falling apart. And we get a scene where they finally catch up with Sydney, and one of them grabs his shoulder and hauls out a chunk of the fabric, and they're like, "What?" And then it turns into uh, fucking Dawn of the Dead as everybody fucking starts grabbing for his coat and strip him down to his underwear. Yeah, they're, tr- they're treating him like fucking Colonel Rhodes. <laughs> yeah, they just fucking rip. And they're laughing like maniacs. It's like the fucking Red Hour in that episode of Star Trek. They're just fucking ah, grabbing and pulling shit off. And it's very, it's very strange. And he's just standing there with his dress shirt yeah. and his underwear. Yeah. And they ripped his pants too. Yeah, he was, he was in his boxers. Yeah. <laughs> And it's those movie boxers where they're like, quote unquote, embarrassing. Yeah, they're embarrassing. You probably have hearts on them. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I want to get boxers like that just just so that and then, and then get someone to pants me yeah. just so I can have a real like movie moment. So guys, I'm basically Abed from Community. Yes, absolutely. Except for the mo- the parts where I can't be Abed from Community. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, we, we'll bring in a we'll bring in a guest star for those. <laughs> I know a guy. Stunt double. Yeah, so so he's left standing there, and uh, but now uh, he's no longer a problem for the companies because it doesn't work. So yeah, Everybody, they, and the workers are happy too. And they basically send him packing, and he's heading out on the street, and he's looking at some stuff, and he's like, "Ah, I see." Well, let's actually let's play the ending, the very ending, the voiceover narration from Burnley, as uh, as we think Sydney slash Alec Guinness is done. So he's heading out. The crisis is over now. The news of Sydney's failure brought relief to the world. I see. It had been a hard and bitter experience for all of us. Uh, but we face the future with confidence. We have seen the last of Sydney Stratton. I see. At least I hope we've seen the last of him. So we we get the indication that perhaps he's either figured out how to fix the problem or he's figured out something else. 
I but mean, I more think, likely that he's fixed the problem. Yeah, I think we get that moment of like, oh, this equation was, I didn't carry the one or whatever. Now I understand. And I like that they also throw in the lab noises right mm-hmm. at the end. So it's just like a little callback to that, and a little a little audio cue. Absolutely. Um, and, and it's funny because it almost feels like they're setting up for a sequel that never happened. Oh. I mean, <laughs> it's not too late. Wait, no, we can still it? do it. We can still do it. CG Alec Guinness. We'll just get the models from Lucasfilm. I mean, if we're going to go for a modern actor, give me Benedict Cumberbatch. Benny Cumbs would be able to do it pretty well, I think. Uh, Benny well, Cumbs? Benny Cumbs, yeah. That's what. Uh, that's, that's, that, that's a Pete holmes Listen, I don't like that big name <laughs> at all. Hey, Benny Cumbs, what's up? I don't think you can say that on some, some network Probably stations. Probably not. Yeah, no. We're, we're not going to get this episode rebroadcast on uh, the Trinity Broadcasting. God damn it. I know. I keep trying. I know. We're going to air right after the 700 Club. Yeah, we're right after the 700 Club and right before Steve Borden does his sermon. That's right. Uh, interrupted by Lawrence Fole, who then puts him in the torture rack. Uh, Ted DiBiase comes down and, uh, you know, it turns out Lawrence Fole was being paid off. And, and oh. Ted DiBiase, of course, being a preacher now, yeah, uh, I'm assuming, has a vested interest. Well, I'm assuming the Trinity Network has their own wrestling company. I would hope so. Of all, Obviously. all wrestlers well, who are born-again Christians. There, there's a market for, rest, for oh, Christian wrestling. Oh, no. That means that Vince Russo's booking the whole oh, thing. Oh, no. Oh, no. Is he really? <laughs> He's born again. Well, he seems like the sort of scumbag that would do that. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing against Christians out there. No, no. Certainly not. I, I just I feel wrestler, bad that you have to have Vince Russo amongst your number. <laughs> 99% of wrestlers who, are, who claim to be born-again Christians, they're full of bullshit. Shit. Well, you know, sometimes there's a social aspect to it. It's a, it's a, it's like a social lubricant. To I'm looking at, a, I'm looking at you, Nikita Koloff. You calling out Nikita Koloff? I'm calling him out. <laughs> Russian chain match, me and you tonight. He will murder you. Yeah, but if I say tonight, no matter what episode people listen to, they'll be like Nikita Koloff no showed. Brendan just show won by forfeit. I mean, he was like pissing on a Soviet flag. Like, yeah. Yeah, 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 that's what I'm going to do. And then Russia will be like, we're not the Soviet Union anymore, so that's cool, I guess. I think that would still make Putin mad. Uh, Is it that Putin? That sounds made up. Yeah, well, it does, doesn't it? Um, so yeah, that was the ending of the movie. But one thing we got to talk about before we forget, <laughs> you just transition. Transition. That's right. We are seamless on this podcast. One thing we got to talk about is the Putin of this movie, which is uh, Sir John. We didn't mention him yet. Quite a character. He seems to be like the guy in the textile industry in England yep. at this point. Yeah, he is. He is the man, and he's the guy that uh, gets in contact with Burnley and is like, "What the fuck are you doing?" He's the one that realizes this suit is going to be bad for the industry. Yeah. He's also a very much like a head honcho, like you said. He is, and he's a ridiculous character because yeah. he shows up just dressed in this like ridiculous coat that's like big thick fur collar and like. Let, let's listen to the music and kind of the intro of his character. All right. <laughs> No, no, the app's not atomizer. Now, some fool has invented an indestructible cloth, right? Yes. Where is he? How much does he want? I'm afraid we have Mr. Burnley to contend with first. As I understand it, Mr. Burnley intends to manufacture and market this product. Certainly. Are you mad? Well, I consider it my duty to do it. But it'll knock the bottom out of everything, right down to the primary producers. What about the sheep farmers and the cotton growers? The importers and the middlemen. The big stores, even. It'll ruin all of them. Wait. Let us stick to the point. What about us? Well, I'll admit some individuals may suffer temporarily. 
But I will not stand in the way of progress. The welfare of the community must come first. You're not likely to suffer much. Michael, that's unworthy of you. Sir John, surely you realize this is the greatest step forward. Step forward? Over a precipice? It means disaster. Disaster? Was the spinning jenny a disaster? Or was the mechanical loom? For those who didn't control them, yes. Besides, they increased output. This will finish it. Just arriving now, sir. So he's very much in the vein of... um those great movie villains. He's a little more comedic, but I, I was thinking of like Mr. Potter from uh, uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, although the, 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 not even really a villain, but the person that I think of the character I, I associated most in, you know, kind of a similar way is uh, Mr. Grace from Are You Being Served? Uh, just in how they're both very ancient. Uh, they hunch a lot and they have to be like helped into the room and they're clearly running everything. Although Mr. Grace was much more like horny and lascivious uh, the, than this guy. The nice detail, oh, this movie, yeah, is not, even, not sexual in the least. There's no, there's no horny in this movie outside of like that brief kiss. I mean, 1951. Yeah, well, what can you do? But I mean, the, the added detail is the asthma advisor that mm. he has to take like five times yeah. before he's even able to talk. Yeah. Like he's, he's being brought in by two people. Yeah. He's on death's door. Yes. He's got this big <laughs> fucking bear fur like coat It may thing. be an entire fox. I don't know. It may be. It may be several foxes. They may still be alive. Yeah, it may very well be. But they sit him down in this giant ridiculous chair yeah. and he takes his asthma atomizer and then of course you just heard his voice. He's yeah. very like out of breath. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, he's just this character. This character that's so concerned about money but is almost ready to die. <laughs> I, I wanted to point out not, not only for that but like he's also... Um, He's also just like a really good, uh, it's just a really good performance. Yeah, no, it is a great performance. It's a wonderful, I would say. It was one of the better ones in the movie. Yeah. Just for being the kind of character he is. I like it. I do want to go back just to the, the lab noise just for a second because I do have a little uh, a few notes on how it was actually made. We mentioned I mentioned how it was actually created by lab noises. Um, so basically... Whenever the apparatus is bubbling or whenever it's like he's thinking about the fiber, of course, we hear that noise. Um, it's a samba f- uh, created from like a, se- uh, a series of recorded bubbles, gurgles, woofs, and squirts. And of course, as I said earlier, it was then later released on 45. Yeah, which you'll probably hear later. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, they worked out like so Alexander McKendrick and his sound editor, Mary Haberfield, worked out a rhythm. And it was literally written down as bubble, bubble, high drip, low drip, high drain, low drain. Like that's how he wrote it out to be played out. Um, and the bubble sound was obtained by blowing through a glass tube into a viscous glycerin solution. Huh. Um, the two drip sounds were obtained by pinging two different sized pieces of brass and glass tubes against the palm of the hand. Okay. And the drain sound was created by air blowing through a tube into water and then amplifying the bubble sound through a metal tube. So cool. Yeah, I think that's really cool. And it's funny because sound design is not that different nowadays uh, when you're talking about doing Foley work and stuff, of using these just kind of these cool physical methods to come up with all this noise. Guys, if you want to see some cool film shit, just look up video footage of Foley artists creating sounds because mm-hmm. it's, it's some of the coolest stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, it, it, what they, they, the stuff they do with what they have is mm-hmm. amazing. Um, and so basically they, they called it the Guggle Glub Gurgle. That's what it was called. <laughs> uh, it was referred to. Yeah, and then of course, you know, it was uh, it was used by Jack Jack Parnell in his rhythm in the White Suit Samba, which yeah. I'm assuming is what you're, yes. you were talking about earlier, um, in 19, released in 1952, so the yeah. year after this movie came out. Um, so I just think that was cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but maybe we should uh, put, the, put the brakes in. Take a break. 
put it into gear. Okay. Uh, we'll be back with some uh, some bits and bobs. Yes. Uh, but first, we need to hear some 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 stuff from Age of Radio. Age of Radio. Bedtime bobs. Bedtime bobs. Bedtime, 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 bedtime bobs. Jason's got some bits and bobs. Jason's got some bits and bobs. You're gonna hear the bits and bobs from Jason as he reads his bits and bobs. Second verse, same as the first. No, yeah, go ahead, repeat it. <laughs> All right, let's take a look through the bits and bobs. See what I haven't talked about yet. Uh, trains. I saw some trains in this movie. Wait, and Thomas, I thought, get out of here. I thought that there was going to be more trains in this movie. There was not nearly as many trains as I would have liked. My first note is Alec Guinness looks very young. Uh, Gal- Alec Guinness, of course, in the, the Matt Damon janitor role uh, to some extent. And uh, he somehow managed to finagle 4,000 pounds out of the budget for his experiment. Now, that's a lot of money today. That's like, I don't know, six or $7,000 Canadian. And back then, that's like a lot of fucking money. I'm not going to pull out an inflation calculator. I'm not a nerd. I mean, I am a yeah, nerd. Yeah, put, but... put that inflation calculator away, Jason. Yeah, we're not doing that. But that's a lot of money. Uh, I, the, um, there, we talked about the clever divide, like the divide, uh, where we see every point of view or whatever. There's also a very clear divide between the upper and lower class in this movie where we kind of see them. They kind of look like robots, like the yeah. lower class, like when they all go to the cafeteria yeah. and they're all wearing this exact same, I know the uniforms, but they're all, they all look like they're like, yeah. you know, machines. Yeah, exactly. And, and kind of, if you're, you know, the capitalist, uh, uh viewpoint, they're definitely a resource that is, a exploited a wonderful wonderful cog which i assign with to a number that's right i i kind of chuckled when i saw a guy drinking out of a beaker <laughs> seemed like a bad idea uh, you can never you can never go wrong with a beaker i don't know if this is the earliest example of it but this must be an early example of somebody practicing a speech in a mirror and then it revealing that he's actually practicing it rather than actually saying it they got me with that yeah. too because i thought oh they're not doing that this early in film <laughs> i i got it when he goes uh, no no stop i want to say this and it's like no he nobody said anything so it was like yeah, oh, okay, he must yeah. be practicing in the mirror is alec uh, practicing to quit his job before he gets fired I thought it was interesting that he had to uh, basically steal equipment to do black science. That that made me happy. Just the idea of like a, a rogue scientist. <laughs> oh, black. Oh, black market. I was like, what's, what's well, like, black, like black science ops thing or black, black meaning off the books. I was like, did, did I miss something completely? Um, I, I appreciate the revolutionary talk of the uh, of the union workers. That's uh, that's great. I like the digs at the uh, at the corporate uh, corporate people by having Alec basically just know everything about how this works and them just kind of nodding along, be like, yes, yes, of course, of course, yes. Mm. Uh, yeah, when they dumped it, when they dumped his experiment down the sink, it's like all oh, these narrow minded people. They don't know what they have. They just they just want to dump it out. They don't want to see what it is. They don't even want to see if there's something before they get rid of it. That's a bad idea. Just to blindly fucking dispose of shit. Don't do that. But I do Damn. want to say, <laughs> fuck Dennis, get out of here. <laughs> I do want to say, though, that it was kind of careless of Alec Guinness to have food around the equipment. Yeah, no, that's, later that, on. that's bad science. That's a bad form. Did you get a bit of, not to the extent, not to the same extent of like yelling and his like delivery, maybe, but I got sort of a weird Doc Brown vibe. Hmm. Just the fact that he's so into his like inventions, he's kind of yeah. not seeing anything outside of that. That's true. The kind of narrow-minded focus that is, you know, a trait of some scientists, or, <laughs> or is a, at least a trope that is used for scientists that they're so focused on the work they can't think of anything else around it. He kind of has the physicalness of him yeah. a little bit. I, I thought of like I'm, I'm like I'm wondering if Christopher Lloyd looked at this at all. Great Scott, <laughs> a great great Scott. Well, now if only uh, Sid had had like a, a, a young teenager to uh, help him out. Yeah, I still don't understand that relationship. Let's move on. <laughs> I was reading uh, uh, 
TV tropes. Breitbart. Breitbart. Yeah, Breitbart led me to TV tropes. <laughs> and one of the sections on TV tropes is called discredited tropes. Mm. And it's tropes that, you know, that, that were used in the past, but today it would be very difficult to do them straight. You can yeah. generally parody them, but you would have a very hard time doing them straight. And one of them was the intergenerational relationship. And it's how, you know, in the old days, like the idea of an old man hanging out with a teenager wasn't a crazy thing. It was like, oh, this guy's a, a mentor. Uh, but now it's either, oh, no, he's either a fucking child molester or he's like a, an ex-Nazi. <gasps> I was going to say apt pupil yeah. is the one of those kind of <laughs> But the one I think of the most recent movie I can think of where they try to pull off that trope is Eight-Legged Freaks. Because mm-hmm. there's like an old man who has like all these spiders or whatever. And even in that movie in 2002, I was like, why is that kid hanging out with them? Yeah. Exactly. And even his mother is like, I yeah. don't want you hanging out with Joshua no. anymore. <laughs> don't hang out with that old man. You don't know. You don't know him. <laughs> and he gets eaten by a spider though, so fuck ah, him. Good, good, good. Uh, let's see. What do we got next here? There's some great physical comedy choreography yes. in that scene where you mentioned earlier where um, he's trying to tell. Um, nope. He's trying to tell the butler? No. Or Burnley? Yeah. Burnley, thank you. He's trying to tell Burnley. Well, he's trying to get to Burnley yes. through the butler. And they have the whole scene where he like runs in. Daphne lets him in and the butler sees him. And then they run out. Then Al Giddis runs back yeah. out, locks the door. It's it's very like choreographed. It's the most overtly like, I would say, just almost uh, Benny Hill-like comedy in the movie. Yeah. yeah very, a little vaudevillian perhaps. Kind of Marx Brothers. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, Al is very kid-like in the movie. His character is very childlike. Remember when he gets the cigar? Yes. When when he first <laughs> he strikes the gold, it. he can't smoke it. Yeah, he, he takes a puff <laughs> and he starts like coughing it out, hacking it out. And I'm like, oh, he's very childlike. His face looks, as we pointed out, Alec Guinness looks young in this, probably the youngest we've ever seen him. And we saw him in A Great Expectations, which was before this movie. Five years before <laughs> Five this. Five years before this movie. And this is the youngest he ever looked. So not didn't look like a cigar, a cigar smoker. Yeah. Um, I laughed at the, and this is such an old joke, but I imagine it was uh, uh, much more newer than where he says, I won't stay in your house another minute, and then they immediately throw him out. (laughs) Jason, he was 36 in this movie. Oh, Guinness, yeah. Yeah. So you're younger than I am now. I mean, he looks like in his early 20s. Yeah, he looks pretty good. He makes a pretty big jump very quickly in age. Uh, What was it, the father at one point that says to the daughter, you need a good spanking? And I uh, was a little like, ooh. Ooh. Ooh, that was more innocent back then. This I is suppose. this is more sexy than Draftsman's contract. Yeah, and there we go. I wrote it down. Not much of a cigar smoker, apparently. <laughs> um, uh, oh, Alec, Alec Guinness has a lot more ease in this movie with blowing stuff up than he did in Bridge on the River Quad. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't die in the process of blowing something up. Um, when they when they say clear the lab, I thought they meant just clear out the people, but they cleared out all the equipment. They literally gave him the entire fucking lab to himself. Like yep. that's how hard they were going on this idea. I, I like that he. Uh, there's a line here about how he's uh, losing an endless. Ba- they're losing an endless battle against shabbiness and dirt. Yes. <laughs> it's like an ad. It's like an ad for a, a cleaning product. Uh, you're losing the battle against shabbiness and dirt. Yeah. Um, I, I found it funny too, where they had the. They, they put up a bunch of sandbags and wore a helmet the last time they tried to do the uh, the test. And when they did it, the executives walked in, Burnley and uh, the other guy, and they stood there while they did it, and it and it worked. And thankfully, it didn't blow it up. Oh, yeah, because Burnley comes in and they say, you know, I'm not allowed to let anyone pass here. And Burnley says, well, surely that doesn't include me. And it's just this fucking rich attitude yeah. that's like, even though this is like, well, no, this is the is boss. A, but, but I mean, also, like, this is up because it's a physical danger for any yeah, human. Exactly. And, and then Burnley's he's short-sighted like, enough. Yeah, Burnley's like, excuse me, I'm rich. Yeah. <laughs> Explosions can't harm me. Yeah. I would argue, though, Michael Gow's character is probably more uh, evil than Burnley. Yeah, well, I would agree with that, too. Um, 
the fabric is very strong, but it can be separated uh, at 300 degrees Celsius. So they have to use a blowtorch to cut out the uh, out, out the fabric so that they can make the suit, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, Ooh, the shot of Alec escaping out of the window with the fabric, like as a rope, mm. that looked pretty good. That did look good. Cause, but uh, you can't see the rope, so it literally just looks like he's like floating on the side of the building. I, I Yes. I, I enjoyed the reveal of the suit where he walks in front of that big mirror that has like all the different reflections of him. Like that's a cool like yeah. kind of... Boom, right in your face. There's the suit. Um, he's won the battle against shabbiness and dirt. The whole world's going to bless you. <laughs> um, Did the final chase scene remind you of any other movies? Because I can't put my finger on it, but it, like the whole thing where everyone's kind of chasing them through the streets reminded me of something. Uh, uh, Monty Python's Meaning of Life, when Graham Chapman's being chased by all those topless ladies. The opening scene of Austin Powers. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, there was a sign I saw. At one point, they show a shot of a sign that just says, To the North. Mm-hmm. Folks, if there's any English listeners, can you tell me, are there signs that just are like, the North is this way? Because that just seems very, very general to me. Because that would be helpful. Oh, oh. It feels like something I would see in a Looney Tunes cartoon. Yeah. Yeah. Just so like, just. There should be another sign beside it you're saying that says, I took a wrong, uh, it's pointing in a direction that says, wrong turn at Albuquerque. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Um. Uh, Everybody's mad. Physical restraint. Oh, I like when Sir when he yeah when he's trying to run away and Sir John takes a really like old man terrible swing with his cane at him <laughs> like just just because he just wants to help and he almost dies in that scene. There, yeah. Alec Guinness like he runs away because they want him to like sell or whatever, and a painting falls down or something on hits him on the head and then they say like is he is he still alive and then they yeah and Sir John says oh pity yeah pity. <laughs> Yeah, that, it looked like a cast bronze painting. I for a second <laughs> I was like, did he die? Yeah, no, that I think if that actually fell on you, you probably you wouldn't have much chance. Jesus, yeah. that'd be so heavy. Uh, oh yeah, I like the shot. It's one of the. I mean, this movie looks kind of nice. And one of the shots I like is there's a scene where you see like five cars in a row crossing a street, and in the background there's like a shot of all the mills and everything. It's like a really nice, uh, nicely composed uh, shot there. Uh, so yeah, during the chase, I mentioned that there's another guy in a white outfit that also gets chased and his hat gets knocked off at one point, which according to IMDb, you can see the string. I okay. didn't notice it. I was so into What it. a goof. How do they uh, let that get yeah, past get production? That Come on. Um, but yeah, he runs into the corner and the girl sticks her head out the window and was, dad, what'd you do? And he's like, oh, I didn't do anything. Um, we, we, uh, my wife came in uh, at this point and we saw the little girl. Uh, as they walk up and go, where'd he go? And she points in a different direction and goes, he went that way. And it's like, that's the only one that's on his side in this movie, really. Well, that's the girl that busts him out because there's a scene too where he gets, um, he goes over to see Bertha because yeah. he's running and she's like, what did you do? You invented that. No, 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 you're staying in this room and I'm locking you up because I don't like this invention either. Yeah. And then that little girl ends up like a very smart little girl yeah. ends up tricking uh, someone into, into opening the door to check on him <laughs> while he like hides and then escapes. Yeah. And then, you know, he, he you know, the girl uh, takes off. Well, what's funny is yeah. Bertha also hides the guy that's living there, too, because he wants to call the police. And she's like, no, no, I don't want you to do that either. <laughs> All right. And then we have that Red Hour zombie apocalypse ending and uh, the promise of a sequel that never happened. So those are your bits and bobs, eh, Jason? Bits and bobs, locked, loaded, displayed, done. I feel like your bits and bobs just did, like, a Val Venus promo. Ooh. Hello. Hey. Man in the white suit. <laughs> you sound like, um... Hello! <laughs> Grover. <laughs> Hello! Man in the white suit. <laughs> uh, okay. 
So let's, um, yeah, so let's talk about a little bit. I, I want to mention one thing I actually forgot to mention. Um, so we talked about, like, I talked about a little bit how Alexander McKendrick was against Michael Balkan and they had that feud. And this movie kind of is a little bit of him getting his anger out about, you know, people standing in the way of progress. He actually told, he actually told the character, uh, the, Cecil Parker, the character playing uh, Burnley, he told him, uh, you need to uh, model yourself on Michael Balkan. <laughs> He said, model yourself on Mick, which he meant Michael Balkan. Um, so he's kind of doing that, like, he's he's kind of pompous. He's not the worst villain, obviously, because I still think Michael Gao and Sir John are probably worse. But he's very, like, pushover-esque. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and he's pompous and everything. So, yeah, he definitely had some vendettas to air out in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so this movie um, does actually get nominated for an Oscar, Jason. Ooh. Can you guess the one Oscar it gets nominated for? Uh, best adapted screenplay. You are correct. Hooray! The winner that year is, of course, a movie we've talked about almost every episode: "The Bad and the Beautiful." Yeah. I'm assuming the evil version of the soap opera. That's what people call us. That's up for you to decide who's who. <laughs> and is nominated for two BAFTAs. Does not win though. It is nominated for best British film, which is actually won by a movie we talked about not that long ago: "The Lavender Hill Mob." Oh, another Alec Guinness picture. But yeah, exactly. He lost to himself. Yeah. Um, and it it's nominated for best overall film, um, but the winner that year is a movie called La Ronde. And the only reason I mention that is because it starred someone that we thought was amazing in that one movie she was in mm. on this list, and that's Simone Signore, uh, the lady that was in Room at the Top. Oh right, okay, yes, yeah. yes, she was great. Yeah, so I just thought that was interesting. Um, the movie opened at the Odeon Marble Arch Cinema in London. Fancy. Uh, and was one of the most popular films of the year in Britain. It Ooh. earned rentals of $460,000 in the U.S. and Canada, which is significant because the movie only cost like 90,000 pounds. So <laughs> um, they did make a stage play in 2019 based on this. because, And this movie is also based on a play. Uh, but the, unfortunately the play didn't last like a long time, but Hey, what are you going to do? It opened in September, 2019 and there was a play. So there you go. You look like you're chomping at the bit for something here, Jason. I'm just waiting. Oh, sorry. I thought you were were going to say something. Oh, I got something to say, but we'll wait to that point. Okay. But yeah, that's, that's all I have to say about that. Now, before we get into our final verdict, maybe you have something to add. Nope. Oh, it's part of your final verdict. Okay. Well then on that note, Jason, we come to the end. We've talked about the man in the white suit Tell me, will you let me tailor your suit? Well, first off, no, oh. because you don't—you're not a tailor. I will try. Uh, I feel like my suit would be very strange and uh, mostly, probably unwearable. Mostly made of clown bodies. Well, let's talk about this movie, but let's do it uh, with a story, a metaphor. Okay. Uh, so uh, you—you read in certainly, and I'm sure all of our listeners are familiar with '70s wrestling. <laughs> okay. So uh, everyone is, yeah. If you remember, one of the greats of the '70s was a guy named Bruno Sammartino. Bruno was a big fucking hairy Italian dude who was badass, and everybody loved him. And in those days, when Bruno would end a match, he would what? He would body slam a guy, something like that. Yeah, yeah. he would give him a fucking just a straight up body slam. The crowd would go fucking nuts. He pinned the guy, and he win the match. But in 2020, you try that. It's not. It's not going to get any reaction. That's a basic move. And that's what I feel about this movie. This movie's a basic move, Brendan. This is a fundamental comedy picture. No question there. But the expectations uh, have changed such over time that I just didn't get behind this movie. I don't hate it. But like the Lady Killers, it feels like it's just so below 
uh, like it's not even like subtle dry comedy. It's just, and I have no doubt. I have no doubt that in 1951, this movie fucking had people rolling in the aisles. But tastes have changed so much since then and the expectations of comedy that I just, that while there were certainly amusing moments in this movie, it just all felt very like on a low hum in my mind. Hmm. And I love this premise. And I'm, I'm gobsmacked that nobody's tried to remake this in some way because it could be relevant today because I don't know if you know this, but there's a legit... Uh, uh, type of hydrophobic uh, 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 Is that people who are racist against water? Uh, no, you're close though. Oh, okay. Uh, it's uh, Hydrophobic materials are materials that repel water. Mm. And so like you could have a pair of like white shoes and dump a bunch of mud onto it and shake those shoes and all that mud flies off okay. and don't stain the shoe or anything. So that's, that's we, we've gotten there. Now the fiber's not indestructible but it can repel dirt and water in the way that they were dreaming of in this movie and, and maybe that could be relevant today. We add in the indestructible bit and we get some really funny writers and we take this concept and we amp it up because it is a good concept and I think it deserves uh, something that's more relevant to modern audiences. But I, I, I don't know. Is it that I don't like Alec Guinness in comedies? Like, cause I, I wasn't super hot on them. I mean, I, I mean, Lavender Hill Mob is fine. I mean, and, I think we both really liked Lavender Hill Mob. Yeah, I, I liked it enough, but like even that was more so, I would say that was a funnier movie than this one was, but that was, a, the, I mean, that was a goofier movie too. It was goofier. That absolutely. wasn't like going for subtlety. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely not. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, and, and I, I feel like maybe it's just, I'm not a big fan of the Alex McKendrick approach because I didn't really like Lady Killers as much. And, you know, I respect it. Um, and Whiskey Galore, which is probably the best of the three that I've watched, was still also very, like, very kind of, like, I, I, I think more of my humor came out of the stereotypes of it. <laughs> well, I think, and Jason, it's it. You seem to enjoy more of like the screwball Ealing movies. I think you enjoy Passport to Pimlico. Yes, a lot more. absolutely. And 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 uh, and uh, as we spoke, you don't know Jack like that type of. I'm humor. all right, Jack. Yeah, or I'm all right. <laughs> not the not the game. Not the video game. Although I do love the video game. Uh, the movie I'm all right, Jack. Yeah, that kind of approach was a little more madcap, a little more heightened, and yeah, it just doesn't. It isn't there. But like again. That doesn't denigrate what these movies have done. Mm -hmm. I think they're all very well-made pictures, and they established uh, uh, some formulas and some ideas, but just don't hold up as well in the modern age to these modern eyes. Well, there you have there you have it. Jason's hot take at the end of all these Alexander McKendrick <laughs> films is that he's okay. Yeah, they're fine. fine. They're fine. fine. But like, it's just it, the, the, I'm interested to see the remake of Whiskey Galore to see how they amp it up and if they do it in a way that actually ends up being pretty funny. I. And kind of the opposite here. I really like this movie. Um, mm. It's it's certainly not... I mean, I don't remember where I placed it because I'm kind of mm. keeping track as we go as to yeah. where these movies fall. But it's certainly not anywhere near the top of the movies yeah. we've covered in a while. But I do genuinely like this movie a lot. Um, and I think out of the three McKendrick movies, this one is actually probably my favorite. Okay. Uh, followed by Lady Killers and then Whiskey Galore. But I'm also not in the same, not quite in the same boat with you where like I, I didn't like, I don't think I disliked any of them. I think Whiskey Galore. Oh, I don't me, think I disliked them either. I just don't think that they well, that's what I mean. resonate as much. That's what I mean. Like I, I think Whiskey Galore, I was kind of on the lower end. Like mm -hmm. it's fine. Um, but then Lady Killers was, I thought was good. And this one I thought was really good. Yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're, we're at war, Jason. Like I say, this premise is a great premise and and uh yeah I, I love the the man who knows too much kind of trope that's great i'm always happy to watch those sorts of things yeah and again we've only got one more alec guinness on this yeah. list but having said that jason does he play oliver in oliver and company yes oh okay <laughs> but jason um that being said we're not going f further with this list I mean, we, we eventually for a little bit, yeah, for a few episodes. A little break because it's time. We're we're gonna break. We're not gonna do. We're gonna. What we're gonna do is we're gonna do. We're gonna do. What is it called, Jason? 
Brit picks. Brit picks. That's right. That means that Jason is going to pick a movie that he is going to make a case for being on the list, even though you haven't seen the movie yep. you're about to pick. But that's okay. And then I'm going to pick a movie that I'm going to vouch for. I'm going to fight for being on the list. And in our third episode in this series, we're going to take a suggestion from one of our listeners, Susie Cuthbert. Oh, Susie, thank you. She, she sent us one a while back, and I thought, you know, it's one we should take a look yeah. at. All right. Um, so we'll do that. So, Jason, you are going to start us off next week. So yes. tell us what movie you are submitting for consideration. Well, I'm using it as an excuse to watch a movie I haven't actually watched yet, but I think it's relevant because we've watched uh, two James Bond movies in the course of this list, Doctor No and Goldfinger. Ip Crest File. Uh, and we've watched The Ip Crest File, of course, another spy movie. And, and this movie came up. And, of course, we watched The Avengers for our, our infamous April Fool's Day episode. Yes, and um, infamous, yeah, yeah. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody's uh, talking about it. Ip Crest File also has the glasses from the yeah. movie you're about to talk about. So... Um, we're going to watch Kingsman because we, we talked a little bit about it and, and how clearly it cribs some stuff from those cribbed. I mean, homage is, you know, really Kingsman, uh, the golden circle. Uh, well, we can get to that. We'll save that for a deeper Brit pick. Maybe that'll be a, a special episode. Oh. Ooh, who knows? But uh, yeah, so we're going to watch Kingsman because uh, it looks like a fun movie. I've heard great things. It's an excuse to watch it. And then we can tie that all back into those four movies and, and whatever else we need to talk about. Who knows what other references are in that movie that we didn't get before we saw the 70X movies that we've uh, watched so far. It's true. It's also a movie that I haven't seen in a long time. Um, that I, I read modern criticisms is that it's very aggro. Yeah. So we'll take a look at that, too. We'll see, we'll see how bro-y aggro this yeah. movie is. Kingsman Secret Service is what we're going to take a look at. Guys, you can find this one pretty much anywhere. It's not streaming, I don't think, weirdly enough, but you can rent it. You can find it. Do it's your thing. out there, man. Do what you got to do. Go down to your local Jumbo Video. Yeah. Go down to your... Go, you know what? Some libraries are still open. Go to your library. Go online. You know what? A lot of libraries have Hoopla. I'll you tell you, I'll tell you if you want to rent a movie, you know where you got to go? Cottage Country. Where the internet's bad, you can rent yourself a movie at a gas station. No question. <laughs> well, there you go. So Kingsman Secret Service is going to start off our Brit picks next week. That is Jason's Brit pick. Yep. Um, but until then, you can find us on social media. Just follow us on Twitter at BFI underscore pod. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for For Screen. And country. Uh, you can also find us at our home base at Age of Radio. That's ageofradio.org slash For Screen and Country. Find Jason on Twitter. That's at Jason D. McLeod, M-A-C-L-E-O-D, and check in for the tastiest retweets that you could possibly imagine on the internet. And what you'll notice is that Jason's Twitter is indestructible. He's made, he's created a formula. Mm -hmm. You can refresh that page as much, as many times as you want. It's not going to freeze. It's not going to freeze. It's just going to be there for you all the time, every day. And that's specifically because I'm awesome. There you go. Thank you. But until next week, when we talk about Kingsman Secret Service as part of our Brit Pick series, mini-series, very mini-series, yes. three episodes, yep. um, I just have to say to you, God save the queen. God save the screen. And for Screen and Country, I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. Do you like the suit? Uh, your suit is, is indestructible, I'm told. Yes, quite. No, 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 I don't like it. I don't like it at all. And in fact, I suggest you take it off this moment. <laughs>
Thank you.